Have you ever had that moment where you're like, you've made some assumptions and it didn't go as expected. In fact, maybe you even had issues. Like it created more issues than you could have ever imagined. Have you ever had somebody make assumptions about you and it made you upset? It was unsettling. You didn't like it. Assumptions are these things, they happen all the time. We absolutely make them constantly. And yet, so often they are problematic. They can create more issues for ourselves and for others than what we ever expected. And so how do we kind of get through those assumptions? Because we're going to make them. It's absolutely going to happen, but how can we think of a way forward of getting through it, of going, wait a minute, hold up, I need to change course. So for today, we are skipping ahead of the triumphal entry into Jerusalem where there were palms and cloaks were laid. You can see behind me and a little bit above me the, that symbolism of the cloaks uh, that it's this moment where everybody is celebrating and they're shouting Hosanna. And then we move into the last hours of Jesus' life. And so today, as we get into those last that last little bit, that last day of looking at how those assumptions were made, how they begin to impact and change, how they were disruptive, and how Jesus is kind of leading us through it, of here's a way forward if we're willing to pay attention. So beginning in Matthew chapter 26, verses 6 through 10. When Jesus was at Bethany visiting the house of Simon, who had a skin disease, a woman came to him with a vase made of alabaster containing very expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' head while he was sitting at dinner. Now, when the disciples saw it, they were angry and said, Why this waste? This perfume could have been sold for a lot of money and given to the poor. But Jesus knew what they were thinking. He said, Why do you make trouble for the woman? She's done a good thing for me. All right, so... We've got this moment where a woman shows up in Matthew, totally unnamed. We don't know who she is. And she has this very expensive vase of alabaster filled with very expensive perfume. And she anoints Jesus. And the interpretations, in fact, Jesus is going to allude to the one. It's about predicting his funeral, his burial, that it's a way of preparing the body that was customary when someone died. There's other interpretations here that she recognizes this unnamed person, this stranger, no, understands and knows Jesus better than those closest to him, better than those surrounding him. There's a moment here we're seeing how, okay, the assumptions that get made are about this woman and who she is. And what's interesting is the, the disciples around, their criticism Right? They've made assumptions about what this woman should do, of how she should use this perfume, of how she should have used her money. And Jesus is like, hold up, wait a minute. There's more to it. She has done a good thing. And so uh, going 
to this whole thing about assumptions of going, wait a minute, how often are we making assumptions, putting things on people maybe we don't even know, we make an assumption about their intention, and we can't see the good that they're doing. We can't see the goodness that's coming out of because we so easily default to criticizing, to judging. And what's interesting is when the, the disciples do this, they're actually playing off of rabbinic tradition, which says you're supposed to go and sell the expensive stuff and supposed to give the money to the poor. But here, Jesus is moving them into a new possibility of going, wait a minute, she is doing something kind and good for me. She is doing something good and kind for someone else. Maybe it's not how we would do it, but how often do we miss because of the assumption that we're made about what someone is trying to do out of goodness, out of care? And so this is a moment for us to begin to take that step back. And it's about to go a little bit further in challenging the assumptions we make about the people we know and the people we don't know. Continuing on in verses 11 through 16. You always have the poor with you but you won't always have me. By pouring this perfume over my body, she's prepared me to be buried. I tell you the truth that wherever in the whole world this good news is announced, what she's done will also be told in memory of her. Then one of the 12 who was called Judas Iscariot went to the chief priests and said, what will you give me if I turn Jesus over to you? They paid him 30 pieces of silver from that time on, he was looking for an opportunity to turn him in. So they're critical of the woman because they don't know her. And here Jesus really challenges them and is like, no, 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 you don't understand. Her goodness is going to be told over and over again. And your assumption that you've made about her is highly problematic. And yet, on the other side, they have made assumptions about Judas because Judas is one of the 12 apostles. He's part of the closest inner circle. He could not obviously do no harm. A moment where they're not paying attention because of the assumptions that they've made about those that they're used to seeing, used to knowing, used to being around. And so for ourselves of thinking about all the times, all the ways that maybe we make assumptions about those we don't know and those that we do know, and that how often are we missing something important? Because the 12, the closest, are going to miss something vital. And here, Jesus is like, okay, you guys are making assumptions, but can you not look for the good in others? Can you not look for what is possible that is good. So a moment here of taking a step back and really looking at, of trying to understand the assumptions that we make that maybe are really not based upon reality, that really are kind of off base, that so often we overlook the good in, in someone we don't know well, and then in the person that we are used to, that we just aren't paying attention. We're overlooking certain things. And so a real challenge to how the assumptions we make of how they begin to challenge 
our understanding of reality, of how they can cloud our reality, of how they can take away and keep us from seeing, from understanding what's actually happening around us. Continuing on in verses 17 through 19. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and said, where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover meal? He replied, go into the city to a certain man and say, the teacher says, my time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. The disciples did just as Jesus instructed them. They prepared the Passover. So now we're at the point where it's time to celebrate. It's time to celebrate Passover, Passover being a remembrance, a recognition of how God led the children of Israel out of Egypt. It is the center of their identity, and it is a celebration. It is time to gather and to be together. And the disciples are kind of listening, and they're kind of paying attention because they want to celebrate. They want to celebrate Passover with Jesus. And so they hear part of what he says, but they don't hear it all because he makes this statement of, my time is near. I'm going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. And they seem to have no concept of Jesus saying, hey, my time is coming to an end. My time of the way that you're used to engaging with me is coming to an end. The way that you understand the ministry in this moment, it's about to change. And they can't hear that. And how often are our assumptions based or connected to us not listening to one another, us not listening to the things that are happening around us, us being able to dismiss some things and hear only what we want to hear. And so a real challenge here that Jesus is trying to get at them of you're not listening, but here's what I'll say, right? He, he gives them, all right, you're go we're going to celebrate the Passover meal, and they totally miss the change that is about to happen. How often are the assumptions we make connected to us not listening? Continuing on in verses 20 through 25. That evening, he took his place at the table with the 12 disciples. As they were eating, he said, I assure you that one of you will betray me. Deeply saddened. Each one said to him, I'm not the one, am I, Lord? He replied, the one who will betray me is the one who dips his hand with me into this bowl. The human one goes to his death just as it is written about him. But how terrible is it for that person who betrays the human one? It would have been better for him if he had never been born. Now Judas, who would betray him, replied, it's not me, is it, Rabbi? Jesus answered, you said it. So they're sitting around, they're celebrating, they're having a good time. And then Jesus gets kind of serious on them. He's like, hey, one of you, you're going to betray me. And everybody's like, wait, no, that's impossible. Can't happen. Is it me? Is it me? No, no, is it me? Judas responds, his response, either he is like, he doesn't understand what he's doing as betrayal, which actually goes with a really interesting interpretation that we see with Jesus Christ Superstar, where Judas was trying to actually save Jesus' life. And so he did what he, 
with he made the deal with the chief priest in order to save Jesus' life, not realizing that he gave him over. Maybe that's where what the, what's going on, or maybe Judas just is okay with lying. Maybe he doesn't see. Maybe he's just trying to cover for himself. We don't actually know what's kind of going through Judas' mind. But what's interesting here is how Jesus is still gathering them all together. He's trying to be real about the situation at hand, and they seem to not be getting it. Right? He even says, oh, it's the one who dips their hand in the bowl, and they still cannot because they have assumed that it cannot be one of them. They cannot understand their own imperfections. It often happens with Jesus that the things that he says only make sense to them when they look back because they've made such assumptions. It's kind of like in the triumphal entry of as he's coming into Jerusalem and people are laying their cloaks, they're shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, which is God save us. And looking back, we can interpret it one way, but also at the time, many thought that Jesus was going to overthrow the Roman government and was going to set up a kingdom, an earthly kingdom, right there in Jerusalem. But that's not what he was doing. And if we listen to what he's saying, if we watch, if we're paying attention to his ministry and his teachings and the way that he engages with people, That's not what he was doing, but so often we make an assumption of what we want, of what we want to hear, of our own perceptions that we can't get anywhere else. And so Jesus here keeps being real with them. He keeps trying to state what in the world is going on. He keeps trying to give them perspective. And his response to Judas, which is really important for us when we start to make assumptions, Jesus is not cruel to Judas. Jesus does not shame Judas. He says, you said it. He's real, but he's not mean about it. He still allowed Judas to sit at table with him. He still allowed Judas to partake, to be part of the group. And so when we're thinking about the assumptions we make and our responses about how can we have a response that is not mean, that is not cruel, that does not shame someone else, that actually is is just stating a fact without moving into a whole other realm. How are our responses and our assumptions not degrading, but actually continue to show a line of respect and dignity? And so Jesus here is giving us a sense of even when everybody's making all kinds of assumptions, even when we've got like, what in the world is Judas doing? His response still comes from a place of love. His response still comes from a place of compassion. His response still comes from a recognition of human dignity. It doesn't mean that he beats around the bush. It doesn't mean that he's skirting the issue. He's real about it but he's not mean. He's not cruel. He's not throwing anybody out. So how can we respond when we do make assumptions? When we are going, wait a minute, I think I know what's happening here. How can we respond from a place that still holds compassion and dignity? 
who still allows space for change and transformation. Judas could still decide to do something different. Continuing on in verses 26 through 33. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to his disciples and said, Take and eat, this is my body. He took a cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for, for many, so that their sins may be forgiven. I tell you, I won't drink wine again until the day when I drink it in a new way with you in my Father's kingdom. Then after singing songs of praise... They went to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Tonight you will all fall away because of me. This is because it is written, I will hit the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will go off in all directions. But after I'm raised up, I'll go before you to Galilee. Peter replied, If everyone else stumbles because of you, I'll never stumble. <laughs> All right, so we get this moment. They're celebrating Passover. Judas and Jesus have had their interaction. Judas has taken himself out of the picture. He is left. And here Jesus is having a moment, and he runs through. You may have recognized some of that from when we do communion, right? It's the Eucharist, communion, the Lord's Supper. Hear his words about centering this meal around him, centering it upon this love and this care, upon this compassion. They're going to look back on this moment, and they are going to institute this ritual that brings people together even in their imperfections. He, he's bringing people together even though he knows one's going to betray, the other's going to deny, that they're all going to scatter and leave him at the most critical of moments, he's still bringing people together. And so that moment of understanding that even in our assumptions, how are we bringing people together? And then he gets real with them again. Tonight you will all fall away because of me. You will go in all kinds of directions. And Peter, poor Peter, Peter's like, even if everybody else stumbles, not I, Lord, not I. So often our assumptions make it very hard for us to get clarity. It can sometimes also make us really cloud our understanding of ourselves and what we are capable or not capable of in high-stress situations. Peter here thinks he knows. He assumes what he will be capable of in a very difficult situation. And Jesus is like, nope. In fact, it'll go on where he's like, no, you're going to deny me three times before the cock crows. And only when the cock does crow the third time does Peter realize, oh my goodness, I have denied my best friend. I have denied Jesus out of fear, out of fear for his own life. So often when we begin to make assumptions about what we are capable of that haven't been tested, that haven't, we've never had to do that, that only when we are finally put in the situation do we finally understand what we are capable of. But when we make assumptions here, 
we can get ourselves into real trouble. In fact, there's a great quote by Ryan Holiday in his book called The Ego is the Enemy. And he says, we build ourselves up with fantastical stories. We pretend we have it all figured out. We let our star burn bright and hot only to fizzle out. And we have no idea why. These are symptoms of ego for which humility and reality are the cure. Peter will experience reality and humility. He will experience that. And then he will be able to take a step back of going, oh my goodness, what have I done? Right here, we're getting a sense of how sometimes our assumptions about ourselves can really get in the way, can begin to create problems that we never intended to happen. And so Jesus is absolutely all forgiving and compassionate and loving. And Peter will have that moment of reality, of humility, and he will change course. He will go in a different direction. He will become the advocate for Jesus' teachings, for living the way of Christ, for being able to be the healing presence in the world. And so to know that we are all imperfect and to be able to keep that in mind that when we are making assumptions to go, wait a minute, maybe I haven't made the right one. Maybe I need to leave a little bit of space for I could be wrong, whether that's assumptions about someone else or ourselves, that we leave room for the possibility that we are not right. It's kind of interesting to think about these stories at this point, especially the one about Peter and denying Jesus. Because the only way that we know that Peter actually denied Jesus was because Peter told on himself. He admitted that he did exactly what Jesus said. He admitted that even though he had said, not I, Lord, it will not be myself, that it actually happens. And he tells it on himself, and it goes down into the Gospels. It becomes part of the story of recognizing that the assumptions we make about our abilities, about others, are sometimes wrong because we are imperfect people, and sometimes we read the situation wrong. And yet, there's still love and compassion. That sense that nothing can separate us from the love of God, that there's a sense of how we keep being shown a new way, of how Jesus keeps challenging us in ways to shift and go and to be that loving presence in the world. And so what if we come uh, from a place of making our assumptions, but then recognizing that when that happens, when we're like, wait a minute, is that an assumption I'm making? That we go, wait a minute, where is love in this? Where is the good? Am I leaving room for possibility that I am wrong or that the other person is wrong? Where is that moment of taking a breath and giving space to the possibility that we may not have all of the answers, but that God still loves us, that God still cares for us, that we are able to interact and engage with the world through compassion and love. 
And so when we make an assumption, whether about ourselves or about someone else, we have to ask those questions around where is God's love in this? Where is God's compassion? And how am I living that out? It's a moment for us to kind of take that step back and begin to evaluate and shift course. Because Jesus always leaves room for shifting course. He's going to do it on the cross as he hangs between two criminals. He is with them in their dire moment. And one of them will respond to him in such a way that Jesus will say, and today you will be with me in paradise. That there's always room for changing course, for gaining new perspective. And so how will we be able to set aside our assumptions to gain that perspective, to gain that compassion, to gain that love, so that we can live out the way of Jesus every single day of our lives? How will we be challenged by this story today? How will you figure out, wait a minute, what assumptions have I made that I need to lay aside or that I need to challenge how might we be inspired by the way Jesus responds so that we can know, that we can be confident in our response coming from a place of love and compassion for all. Amen.